The best way to describe Mickey D's crispy chicken sandwich is crispy, juicy, tender. And yes, it's all one word. Crispy, juicy, tender is like fire lit smacking, trap bass crunk, child tea, ooh wee, and then some. Everything you could want in a chicken sandwich. McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. Buy any crispy chicken sandwich and get medium fries and drink for free. Offer available only in the app. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valid once per day through 12-31-2021 at participate in McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Everything he says and does is to transform, inspire, and expose his audience to realizing they have the power to transition from surviving to thriving. Jamar J. Halim, Washington, pushed through a precarious youth to attend college. He struggled to make ends meet, so he engaged in white-collar crimes to survive, thus became a convicted felon. This felony amplified the disparities in the judicial system and also kept J. Aleem from securing the corporate job his college degree qualified him for. He was recently pardoned for those crimes almost 18 years to the date. After years of failing to get a job, J. Aleem became an entrepreneur and started his own businesses. His nonprofit organization, I Won't Starve Academy, provides education and training for entrepreneurs and career development focused on creating successful intrapreneurs. A nationally published and award-winning commercial photographer, serial entrepreneur, business coach, motivational speaker, corporate trainer, and author of three books, I introduce you to Jay Haleem. Welcome, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I try to re- realize who that person is you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty extraordinary, actually. <laughs> so explain what intrapreneurship is. Oh, wow. So um, everybody's not going to be an entrepreneur. I don't believe that everybody should be an entrepreneur. Um, but however, I think the entrepreneurial spirit should be in everybody. And so an entrepreneur is someone who decides to take on a job and, and make a career out of the job. But you have to have that entrepreneurial spirit. Entrepreneurs do not settle for the status quo. And so going into your job, becoming a manager and really taking the vision of the company and creating your own vision within their vision for how you can see yourself growing and be super successful as an employee. That's what an entrepreneur is. So when you were young, was there any adult who left a positive impact on you? I mean, yeah, it was, you know, positive and it was it's relative. Uh, it's, that's a relative word <laughs> for me. You know, I took it as positive. I had two guys, one, um, one passed on. He was an addict. And I had a guy who um, was a mechanic who always spoke well into me. They couldn't tell me not to sell drugs or do anything wrong because they had. But at the same time, they always spoke highly of me. They always tried to make the best of my situation, give me good words of encouragement. Even the older guys in the neighborhood, you know, I had to learn. Hindsight is twenty twenty. They did the best that they can for me. When I was playing basketball, they wanted me to play basketball. They knew I had financial issues in my household growing up with eight people in my household, seven of them strung out on drugs. They knew they they couldn't tell me to go get a job because they didn't have jobs. So the only way they can tell me how to make money is the way they made money. Mm. So I couldn't I don't blame them for that. They only did what they can do. And um, they tried their best to protect me. Um, 
you know, once you step on your foot in the street in a certain level, you have to protect yourself. But they did the best that they could. Um, I didn't realize I, I lost an uncle last year, almost um, a year mm-hmm. ago in November. And he was probably the most positive um, role model I had. But I didn't take I didn't realize that until he passed away. You know, he was a hardworking gentleman, but he didn't live in my household. And my household was the ones where nobody really worked. Nobody had jobs, anything like that. So he was not at my house, but he definitely always um, had a strong work ethic. He took care of his family and uh, he tried the best to do what he could for his nieces and nephews as well. So, yeah, I had some things, you know, I didn't see that before, but hindsight is definitely 2020. And that is really the key, too, because how a child feels in their own household growing up determines what kind of tools they they receive to follow their path doesn't it yeah definitely definitely and you know we didn't get those tools i mean we showed love by fighting you know each other and other people you know we didn't ever have a problem with that um you know it was just really tough love um and it was like my grandmother told me at 13 years old she she lost a job she she um got injured she didn't have one of those type of jobs with, you know, workers comp and stuff like that. She just couldn't go back to work anymore. She was like, hey, I'm not going to be able to feed you the way I was or give you good, nice clothes. They said, you got a house to stay in and you can eat. I wanted to be an overachiever. I wanted to play basketball. I would come home late, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, sometime nine o'clock at night from games. It's 15 people in the house. There's no food left unless it's like vegetables or something like that that they didn't want to eat. But it sure enough wasn't no chicken or pork chops or any of the good stuff. So, you know, you had to figure it out. And um, but again, I knew the love was there, but my grandmother couldn't do but so much. And once you have your own profession, it's hard to get out of that lifestyle, isn't it? You hear stories um, about people getting dragged back in by their friends and family, like the influences from the past when they're trying to get out of that like you see it in some of the rappers and and michael vick is is a good example Mm -hmm. he grew up with dog fighting he thought it was okay because police (laughs) people of authority were there at the fights betting so as a kid you grow up thinking it's okay and so once you know how tough is that to back away from those pressures when you know in the back of your mind, no, you can't go back there. It's extremely hard because truth of the matter is drug selling is an addiction just as well as drug use. And people don't know that. My first time being arrested as an adult, um, they put me in rehab because, um, you know, they knew I was going to college. And so it was, they, it was my first offense as an adult. And they said, hey, well, you got to, you you know, you're going to go through this program. And part of the program was a rehab. And I and I, I remember being the first time there, everybody was doing it, what you see on TV, high, high this person, high that. And so when it got to me, I said, I'm not in the right place. And so they gave their little backstory. And I'm like, no, this is not for me. I'm here because I, <laughs> for possession. And he said, and the guy said, he said, selling drugs is just as addictive as using and it's absolutely a fact, you know, the, the, the adrenaline rush that you get from being in that lifestyle, because looking back, you know, it wasn't that much money. Certain things we've done for le- a lot less money than I've done for a speaking engagement. I've driven from, you know, uh, 12 hours away 
for less money than I'll get for a speaking engagement, you know, at times. So I'm like, it was just an adrenaline rush. The mm. same thing that dopamine hit that, that a user will probably get. And so it's very, very hard. So when you put around it, you know, you, you, it's easy to fall back. So the best thing is like, like drug users, stay away from it, stay away from people who are doing it. And um, that's what I had to do to not be in the mix of that. I haven't heard that side of it before. I don't think a lot of people discuss that the selling of it is the addiction. That's, oh, it really is. <laughs> that's really, that's a really good point. And, and really once you, once you have a record, um, it is a vicious cycle. I mean, actually not even a record if you got a bankruptcy or anything and, you know, if somebody checks something, you know, if you got any skeleton in your past anything, right? and you can't get a job with a record and is, is that why the recidivism rate is so high? Extremely, extremely, because at the end of the day, it's like this for me, I, you know, I was always a good kid. I, I never classified myself as a gangster, you know, I'm, I'll classify myself as a hustler. I always knew how to make some money. Um, and so when I, I, you know, I stayed in school, never thought about dropping out of school. That was what I did at night. That was what I did to make money, to have nice clothes and, you know, be able to feed myself. Um, but when I went to college, you know, I'm seven, I'm 700 miles away from home. I don't know anybody. You know, I figure out a way to make some more money. That's where the white collar portion comes in to it, as well as the other portions. That was just what I got arrested for at the time. And, um, you know, I was just trying to figure it out. But I was never thinking about quitting school, dropping out. I graduated with decent grades, very, very good grades, actually. Um, but I couldn't get a job. And it's like, OK, well, I was very good at doing this. It's very easy for me to go <laughs> back here, you know, because I'm fighting for this job. That's not going to even pay me as much money as I made doing this. Because everybody said I got to get a job and I got a degree. So it was very, very tough. But I was grateful to my wife for, you know, um, giving me an idea. You know, her pastor had a cleaning business back in um, the D.C. area where she was from. She said, won't you try that? And I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll try anything. And sure enough, he was willing to talk to me, tell me the, the ins and outs of what I needed to do. And I started that business and I was like, OK, cool. So that was about a few months after I graduated college. And, um, you know, I was OK. I, I was definitely okay with that. So how long did you spend in prison? I didn't never go away to prison. Oh, okay. And that was the beautiful thing about it because of school. You know, um, I made a lot of money. I was able to get, you know, the, the, the right type of lawyers. And because I was, I was a student. Being a student actually kept me out of jail, kept me from mm -hmm. going away to prison multiple times. You know, I've probably been arrested eight, nine times in my life. And, you know, once I became an adult, when I got my first charge as an adult, I was supposed to go sit down, but I got good grades. I'm grad. I just graduated high school and my cousin had, you know, connected me with the college and had paperwork saying that he's, he's accepted to go to college. If you send him away, he won't go to college. They said, okay, this is his first time. We're going to give him, put him on a program, put him on a year probation. And then, you know, he finished the program. We'll expunge his record. Well, the next time when I got arrested, you know, again, I was making a whole bunch of money. And, of course, I had one of the best lawyers in town, had all of those things. But here I am with like a 3.5 GPA in school in my senior year of college, about to graduate, you know, doing what I was doing. 
And so they able to say, hey, look, he's graduating in a year. Can you, you know, they say, okay, fine. We're going to put him on probation. But the, it's the felony that stuck. We didn't have that discussion that I still wasn't going to be able to get a job. Even though I had a great, I had a great GPA. I got hired at jobs. I literally got hired at these jobs. Fill out the offer letters, everything like that. Do the, the um, you know, the drug sample. I never was a drug user. Um, I didn't even like to smoke weed or anything like that. So that was never a problem. Um, because I just I like my money too much. So I was about to you know, supposed to be making it, then using it. So I'm good on that. And so you know, I did pass all of that. But the background check could come back, and they'll say, "Okay, we got to resend your offer." So most people would like check the box. I didn't even have those opportunities. I actually got hired at jobs, good jobs, and they had to resend the offer letter because of my background. That is a horrible box to have to check for some people, <laughs> and and it, I we see it here in Canada too. Uh, I think wasn't. I don't know. Maybe recently there was some legislation saying they can't ask that anymore. But yeah, they're doing that most in some states. I know yeah. they started it here in, in South Carolina. They started doing it. Um, most of the more progressive states are doing it. In the South, it's kind of moving slow. Because really, if if I mean, there's always that thought. Well, once you do the crime, you you know you know you're scum for life, right? But but for most people, they're trying to, re, you know, they're trying to renew themselves. They're trying to find a new life. But because of that little box, you know, it kind of hampers everything. It's tough. It's very tough. And, you know, again, um, no one knew me. I did a speaking engagement recently and I, I said that. I said, I realized that people didn't know me, you know, and nobody got, gave me a chance to, to get to know me. And I've dealt with that in family friend you know supposed friends whoever they didn't know me it was just like i'm the one you call when you got a, a legal problem like i'm an attorney because i've been through so many legal issues and as opposed to i want you to call me so we can come up together so we can make some money but i would be the one to call to talk about legal issues and i'm like look you know i've never been a bad guy never i i have nothing on my record to say i hurt anybody you know um i i, I never broken anyone's house or stolen cars or None of that. Anything that you saw is just me making money. Um, and this is what was put on my plate. Uh, this is what was shown to me. OK, I, I can do it. And, you know, I, I actually became good at it. So I've taken that same energy to put into business. It wasn't that I was never good at it as I got um, exposed to business. That's where the exposure portion comes in that in my story. As I got exposed to more things, I did better things. But whatever I was exposed to, I did it and I did it to the fullest and I did it very, very well. So as I got exposed to more opportunities to do better things, I did it and I did that well. So that's one of the things I try to do is try to first transform people's mind. You do have more options, you know, inspire people by my story and then expose them to some things that I didn't have for me. And then more things that I probably found. I've been all over the country, been to different countries. I've learned things and I try to expose other people to opportunities that they can possibly have so that, you know, um, they can do a whole lot better than I had. Cause I, I you know, I had to blaze a trail. I didn't have anybody footprints to step into. So I try to leave mine for other people. And that, that to me is the most inspiring of all. And, uh, you know, when you are the, the trails, the trail blazer, um, it has to be a little bit depressing. How do you fight that depression? How do you fight that 
you know, to keep going because I mean, imagine it just drags you down after a while. I know like even just having a cyber bully does that for me. So <laughs> hey, listen, you're absolutely right. And you know, I, it just became a cool thing to talk about, um, you know, getting mental health, uh, you know, and, and having a coach or a therapist in, in, in the black community in America, that's just started to become a cool thing to talk about, you know, and it was just like, you just had to figure out how to deal with it. And I didn't know when I wrote my first book, I won't starve. I ain't never cried so much in my life, mm. you know? Um, and subsequently after that, I mean, I was doing a speaking engagement, bust out in tears, like literally like in May, because I haven't been getting that stuff out. You just had to just build it up and just go. I say, I think it's because I turned 40. I got a little softer, but <laughs> I, it was just one of those things. I think I just had it built up for years. And, you know, you looked upon as weak. Nobody wants to hear what they call excuses. And I tell people all the time, I don't treat people like that. If the people don't have the knowledge, wisdom, or understanding, it really is a reason. It's not an excuse. If they have the information and the knowledge, then they're making excuses. And it was a lot of knowledge that I didn't have and a whole lot of people like me didn't have. And so we just made decisions on the information that we had. And so a lot of people, they, they didn't, especially for a man, I know a lot of people talk about women's rights. But it's very, very hard on us men because we are expected to be, you know, um, as hard as nails. I'm not talking about the toxic masculinity thing. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in that. I'm just meaning like if a if you have a woman in your life and you and she fails, it's your fault. But, you, you know, it's the man's fault. You know, they, they'll say, well, you know, don't you have a husband? Don't you have a man in your life? Like, no, it has nothing to do with it. If a man, he, you have to be make sure you okay and you have to make sure she's okay too. You know, that's tough. So growing up, being with a woman since 19 years old, you know, coming up, her family was affluent in my eyes. And, you know, I didn't cut the mustard on paper at the time. You know, I didn't I didn't measure up on paper. You know, so it was it was very, very hard. You know, it was very, very hard. And so um, trying to figure that part out and then, you know, trying to live both worlds, church stuff. I mean, I've been through a whole bunch of stuff. You know, it was just a nonsense. I went through the church phase where, you know, the, the ministers were not what they say they are, you know, and I'm really like, OK, I'm going to be, be behind this 100 percent because I'm just searching, you know, searching for acceptance. I'm not knowing that that's what it was, but just trying to be in the right space and trying to fit in. So, yeah, it's tough, you know, not knowing where you accept it, where you're going to be celebrated, not just tolerated. So it's, it's, it's a lot. I love your quote. Um, People do what you do, not what you say. How that is so real. And, and, you know, just in everything, not just yeah. uh, work or, or play, <laughs> everything. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely um, right. What did you learn along the way that you didn't know before? Wow. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I learned is that, you know, the better the more I become, the better off I be. Because, you know, I was you couldn't put hustle on a resume, you know. So <laughs> I was willing to be a hustler. I was willing. Well, for a sales job, maybe. 
See, but that's the thing. I used to always get those too. Like, you know, you put your resume out. People would call you for the selling knives door to door and all that other stuff like that. And who knows? Maybe I would have been great at that. I didn't want that. I really wanted somebody to pay me a check every two weeks and get some benefits and all that other stuff like that. And because that's what I saw. My wife always had that. And I'm like, this is what was respected, you know, to the people around me. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I really, really wanted that. Even when I was doing well in certain businesses early on. But the thing was, I wasn't something. So when you look at my resume now over the last 10 years, I've become, you know, that photographer that you read about. I've become the business coach. I've become the corporate trainer. I've become all of these things. And I've actually felt good about myself in that because I I do believe a thousand percent that I won't starve. Because of who I am, it doesn't have anything to do with um, measuring up to anybody else anymore. You know, if you put me in another place, another country, all the skill sets that I have right now, I know I'm going to I'm going to eat. I'm not going to starve. And so just learning that the more you become, the better off you will be. You know, so that was that was great learning thing for me. So what would you like? uh, What are what are some of the most important things you want people to take away from your experience? The moral support, I mean, you got to get mm. to know people. You got to get to know people, ask questions. You know, you definitely can't judge a book by its cover. Um, that was me. You know, no matter what I did, I wasn't good enough. Um, mm. And so you can look at my track record. It didn't matter that I never did anything wrong to a person or to a certain uh, a set of people. It's because at the time my bank account wasn't looking a certain kind of way or I didn't mm. dress the way these people thought I should dress. Um, or didn't talk the way they thought I should talk, even though I'm, you know, I'm educated. I can, but it's fake to keep trying to talk like somebody else or, you know, like I'm happy that I can wear a hat that has my name on it. And, you know, I've just was at a school yesterday and I had stuff to say, I won't start on it. And I had a hat on. I never wore hats. I always, it was the one they told take my hat off in school. And now they pay me to be there with my hat on. So, you know, that's, (laughs) that's a blessing to me, you know, just being myself, but if you got to know me, you would know that. So, you know, ask questions, ask questions, get to know and 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 really, really, um, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. I love that. So I won't starve how we need to rethink our worth and potential. So a lot of people joke around when they're starting out in a new profession, like I'm the starving writer, a starving actor. But you decided to take the different approach to that. Why? You know, again, the same situation. If you um my first book, you know, you read my first book, I um was I was going through hell, you know. Um I was at odds with my godparents, I was at odds with my, my in-laws, I was at odds with my wife at some points in time. And um and it was all about the same thing, you know, my income, you know, um yeah. just the instability of that situation, me trying to figure it out as an entrepreneur and my background. You know, because if my background was better, I probably already had the jobs and the stability and things of that nature. And so I, you know, I tried to I tried everybody else's way for long enough. And so I got a crappy job when I came back to South Carolina because this is where I went to college at. And this is why I became a felon. So I had to take, you know, eight dollar an hour job because I still was a felon, even though I'm 31, 32 years old. And um, I said, OK. That's fine. That's that's a little bit of money, but I'll figure it out. I started hustling again, doing my thing you know, with the camera shooting and everything. 
But the next year I went to a TD Jakes conference in Florida and he brought out a, a, a full grown lion on the stage. Um, <laughs> it's when he was putting out his book instinct. And he said, this lion has been in the zoo for all his life. He said, he's been in the cage all his life. He said, but we still walk him around in the cage. He said, because we're afraid that his instinct is going to kick in and he's going to remember he's a lion. And um, everybody who I came with, it was a church function. It was like 20 people that went with us. And everybody came to me and said, he's talking to you. He says, you, you're not where you're supposed to be. And I, and I wasn't. So a couple months later, I went and got my own office and I left my job. And when I left my job, everybody was looking at me crazy because they was like, you're just trying to get back on your feet. You know, we've been through the eviction notices and the repossession of cars and all that crap. And I was like, I won't starve. And I put a hashtag and I started putting it on social media. And every time I got a big gig, I would do it. And I would hashtag, I won't starve. And I started doing like major things and um, doing major jobs and, you know, getting traveling and stuff every all over the country. And I would just always hashtag it. Then I created the shirts and it was it was my way of like doing the middle finger at first. But I do. <laughs> but I being honest, that was my I really wanted to do it like that. But it ended up being a blessing because other people took it differently and they, you know, um, gravitated to it positively. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this is what God wanted it to be because I definitely was like, this is the middle finger to all of y'all. I'm going to show you that me doing my own thing is going to be okay. Because I did it, I promise you, from the time I graduated college, I tried to do it everybody else's way. And I was miserable doing it. I, I haven't felt like me, in, you know, over the last two years, I felt like more of myself than I ever did since I was like 22 years old. I think you just spoke for literally every entrepreneur I've ever encountered, <laughs> including myself. <laughs> um, tell us about your newest book, Morning Motivation. Oh, my, my now, new so baby. So many are in crisis mode right now. Um, so how do does your book and help people find their truth? Oh, man. So, you know, during the pandemic, I just kept hearing people give up so much horrible advice. You know, one of the biggest things they kept saying was like, basically throw 2020 away, <laughs> throw 2020 away, throw 2020 away, get to 2021, 2021. And so the first day that I put out a video was December, no, November 27th, something like that. In the November of last year, I put out 150 straight days of videos, morning motivation videos. And it was, what's the, the truth about, um, about motivation? And I, I just really wanted to tell people, like, stop telling people to get rid of this year, get rid of that year. They still got a month to go. How can they get started now? How can they start doing things and get prepared for 2021? Because I'm a, a sports player. You can't, you know, miss practice and think you're just going to be great in the game. You know what I'm saying? So you got to practice and that stuff will come out on the court. And I'm like, let's get started now. And then it just caught fire. So I did put out some every day. But I realized that. You know, in my journey, five years, well, six years ago now, we went through a thousand year flood here in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Five years prior to that, we were in the middle of the um, global crisis of the financial crisis, the recession. And my wife lost her job on Capitol Hill with three weeks notice, you know, and no severance package, no nothing. And I'm saying like, yes, COVID-19 is a crisis, but this is not going to be the last one. It's definitely not the first one. And so. I wanted to give consistent encouragement through whatever crisis you went through. 
So I took about 12, 11 or 12 of the best ones that I did and I expounded upon them and I, you know, and wrote about it and, and put it out there. So it, it was just amazing for me because um, I didn't know, I know the book would outlast me. I didn't know how long I was going to be able to do the morning videos. <laughs> so I said, well, let me go ahead and put something that people can take with them and bring it home. And it's definitely a conversation piece for sure. Wow. So what keeps you motivated now? What keeps you moving forward? Oh man, you know, my daughter, my kids, you know, not just like in the, you know, from a tab, you know, the oh, everybody says their kids. No, you know, my kids are like looking at me. They I still they go into each other's room and they knock on the door and they call themselves Mr. and Mrs. Washington and they <laughs> act like they're in business. You know, my daughter actually she just wrote her second book. And they're paying attention to what I'm doing. So I can't slip. I got to be on point. You know, my daughter questions. We have building sessions in the car when I'm dropping off to school. We're talking about finances. We're talking about business strategies. You know, I've created my business partner. You know, uh, I always look for people to take me for who I am. Well, they do. You know, they do. They appreciate every bit of who I am. And, um, you know, so I'm, I, I just don't want to ever let them down. You know, so I, I try to teach them high standards, way higher than I, I, I ever thought about. And, you know, that's so they motivate me every day. They they like the matches, internal motivation, but they're the ones that light the fire, you know, um, for me to keep going and doing what I do on a high level. Wow. Thank you so much for being here and doing this with me. It was no such a joy no to talk to you. No problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And this is amazing. I'm looking forward to talking some more. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Jen, we need to sell our home. Do you know a great agent? I do. We just sold with a local Redfin agent. It was awesome. And we paid a 1% listing fee because we bought our new home with Redfin, too. Wow, 1%. Are Redfin agents full service? Totally. Our Redfin agent did it all, and we sold for thousands more than the home next door. I'll check out Redfin today. 1% listing fee when purchasing with Redfin subject to minimums, terms, and conditions. Does not include buyer's agent commission. Learn more at redfin.com or call 844-759-7732.